0: I don't speak with an accent. (laughs) Um, Greg and I are South African by birth. Um, (laughs) And we grew up in a time in South Africa when there was this word called apartheid, separation, where our old government. Um, really believed that white and black and anybody of color had to, had to live separate because they felt that white people were more superior to people of color and therefore they made a law in South Africa that white and black had to be separate and white were really the, the rulers, had the best houses, accommodation, the best schools, the best everything in the country. And so as white people, we were brainwashed. That means the the newspapers that we read were all biased towards that way of of thinking. And uh, our schooling was biased towards that way of thinking. And in the end, when you grow up, being taught these things, you don't know what to believe in the end. Even if you know that something's wrong, you can't put your finger on how to sort it or... And the fear of course we grew up in a nation where we were very scared because if you put a foot wrong the security police were at your door. And for our black people they were also brainwashed into thinking inferior. We've, we've got to you know, do what the white man says. And uh, I grew up in a home which was quite racist and And so this was really put on put on me from small and after being born again, and we were in you know we worshiped white church only and black church, and then you got a mixed race church, and everybody was kept separate, um, which when you think of it now, is so. Ridiculous and unbiblical, and yet apartheid was supposedly built on the Bible and the Old Testament of the Promised Land, and white people now own South Africa and the Promised Land. I mean, it's quite shocking. And um, even when one was born again, um, we were too scared to do anything about anything because we were also told as Christians if you mix with people of color, you will become a communist. And communists don't worship God, and therefore there was this fear of becoming a communist and then not being able to worship God. What a mess, what a mess. And in the midst of that, God just really got hold of me and, um, and said to me I'm start making friends with people of a different color. That means breaking the law of the land really, and, um, and so with great fear, great fear, I went into what we called our townships. Because you had the white area near the mountain in Cape Town, all very nice. And then you had the township area, which was people li- really living in squalor, in shacks with outside toilets, no running water, inside a tap outside, um, no electricity, and so on. And and so I went into the townships and at first God closed the eyes of the security police as I went in so that they didn't spot me going in because they would have certainly stopped me and somehow I got through and when I came out I would wave to them and drive like mad to say, you know, it was kind of, because I was so angry with them then, you know. Um, and so God really put His protection on me for a while until, of course, they realized they took my car number registration and started following me and harassing me and so on. But in the process, I just saw God do the most amazing things. Number one, to me, because He started taking off my way of thinking. He started, I used to put my hands on my head and say, Lord, take this away, this way of thinking. And God, layer by layer, took off that way of thinking and made me see people with a whole new light, see our laws with a new light, which got me into trouble all the time, as you can imagine. Um, And when I was in the townships, other white people were nervous, well, scared of me then, because if they came near me, maybe the security police get them as well but also nervous to come with me into the townships because it wasn't the done thing. It was dangerous from security police side, but dangerous from being in the townships. If somebody hated you there, you know, it's like dangerous. And so people wouldn't go in with me into the townships, so I I went in alone for quite a number of years. And uh, so I never had any backing, you know, when you go in and you among people, suddenly you see poverty wherever you are. And people were accepting the Lord because, you know, when, when people are desperate, you only know that Jesus is all you need when Jesus is all you've got. And the desperation, and one comes and offers this wonderful God who died for us and And I went and I asked for forgiveness for my role in apartheid, because though i can't tell you that I was blatantly racist to people, my mindset was racist, and also there's that saying that says, "Evil prospers when good men do nothing," and we did nothing, and as churches, white churches in general, or the um evangel uh, the evangelistic side of people who believe in, you know, the gospel and, and signs and wonders. We did nothing. We prayed, but we did nothing. Um, and so evil prospered because good men did nothing. And I had to ask God for forgiveness of, for that. And then also I, every black person I met, I asked for forgiveness, which was a, a total shock to people that a white person would do this. But it was it was only right. And people got saved. But the poverty was so big that, um, you know, you can't just lead someone to the Lord and say, bye, here I go. You've got to make sure that there's food to eat and clothes to wear and kids uh, going to school because there's no social structure, as it were, at, like in this country. Nothing is free or nothing. You pay for the doctor, for the school, for every single thing. And and so there were hundreds of people who weren't well and I spoke about this wonderful Jesus who can save and heal and deliver and he comes and he comforts and he protects. So when I spoke about it the shack doors would open and they brought out all their sick and it was well and it wasn't a challenge it was you said and you see, we speak about this Bible, and we preach like mad about this Bible. And the world is saying, show us. Yeah, show us. And uh, and the queues of people would stand waiting for me to pray. And I would just say, "Oh Lord, you've got to rescue me. This is, uh, oh, what am I supposed to do? But you know, he just came through over and over. He just healed and... Because we were so desperate. And it wasn't that I stood there thinking, I've got to do some signs and wonders now. It didn't even enter my thinking. It's just desperation. You've got to, Lord. And God just did the most amazing things um, for people and in people. And um, uh, I'll just tell you the, the one story which I think the kids might enjoy, you know, because it's quite gross, (laughs) <laughs> My kids like gross, so anything to do with gross is nice. And um, uh, our children, some of our children, you know they played in the sand and there were worms eggs in the sand from the dogs dew and so on you know. And so they would get uh, worms which, which would knot their, be- tie their bellies up. Um, and sometimes the kids would sit in school and the worms would come out of their noses because it came from the lungs, because it gets so into this, the, 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 the intestines, into the lungs, and also if it went into the brain. Um, and so worms are not very nice. But it would, it would bind the children's stomachs up. And even if they took medicine, they were so knotted up that the medicine didn't work. And um, and the clinics couldn't help, and the kids would die. And they just, by chance, called... Uh, this is once I had a little team with me. They used to call us into the shacks and say, Do you think Jesus can get the worms out of children? And really, we'd seen Jesus do so much, we would think, what's a few worms to Jesus? And you know what it was? We just took a chance. Everything we did, we, we gave it a go. The Bible says, so we just gave it a go... Bible says lay hands on the sick so I will lay hands on anything that moves because the Bible says. Yeah. So we laid hands on the kids uh, bellies and just said Lord Jesus just break the hold of these worms in the kids bellies and um, and then we would go home and the next day come in and the people would present us with wine bottles with water in it with all these worms <laughs> floating about, long ones, fat. I have seen every worm now. The segments, the the round worm, the thread worm, the whatever worms in the bottles. Because in the night, while the child was sleeping, they just made an appearance. And the parents would take it and put it in these bottles as a trophy of what Jesus had done. So Jesus can heal... Any disease, that makes you want your Sunday lunch now, eh? (laughs) But, I mean, that is, one wouldn't even think of things like that, but that is how tough, how tough Jesus is. He could do the most incredible things. And just to, to tell you about the housing, if you have communities, thousands of people living in shacks, with a law, really, I can't tell you that it was in the books. Well, maybe it was, but I never saw it in the books of the law. But the unspoken law was, if you're black and you're poor, and obviously with oppression brings poverty, you will live in a shack. You will have an outside toilet. You will never live in a brick house. So that really was the unspoken curse on our people. And so I was in this extremely political area of 650 families in shacks. Well, I never knew they were political, and they'd never allowed a white person to put their foot in this area until I went to there, and only a few months later I heard that I was treading where white men don't tread, you know. Um, But God was so brilliant, He he just gave me friends wherever I went. But after about five months of being in this area and just making friends and leading people to God, really, um, they gave me a challenge to say, "Well, if your Jesus is as big as what you say he is, tell him to give us each a house. We want a house." And that's a that's a big call, eh? Because not only are we breaking the stronghold of no no money, and so we need brick houses, but the stronghold that says. You will always live in a shack. It was was hard work. But when they challenged me, I just thought that Jesus, who can heal the sick, make the blind see, get the worms out of kids' bellies, he can give houses. It's like, do you agree? He can do anything. And so I said to the people, Jesus will do that. He will give you houses. And he always said, yay, you know. And then I drove away, and I thought, what have you done? <laughs> because then, you know, you come to sound mind. And I thought, if it isn't Jesus, well, I've really messed up his name now in this area. And, then, and the other thing is, you don't mess with the poor. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit has a bias towards the poor because they have no one to stand up for them. The rich can have, go to lawyers and things, the poor have no one. So you don't make promises to the poor and you don't give it. You don't mess with the poor. And I thought, if I've made a promise of housing and I blow it now, not good. But I went home and I said, Lord, even if, I, if that wasn't you, please rescue me. And when God gives me, or well, I think he's given me a word in my head, then I will say, give me something in this book to base it on. And a few weeks later, as I was reading Isaiah 58, it says, you will be called repairer of broken walls, um, uh, you know, and streets with dwellings. And it just, streets with dwellings, and I put a date there. And so thereafter, when things weren't working well, And Satan would come and say, now, did God really say he's going to give houses? I would say, no, here it says, streets with dwellings. And, you know, God did the most amazing things through, I mean, it's it's a long story. It was very difficult. But um, every single family got their house um, with running water inside toilet, electricity. And I think the main thing was... When we built the first house and um, I I, I picked up people, we hired these big lorries to pick people up. Now it's not like the PC-ness here where you've got the belt on and so on. We would like put 50 people on the back of a lorry and, yeah, and uh, and took them to the new area, to the new house. And I thought people would be all excited about the bricks and so on, but it was that inside toilet. You know, people stood in a long queue, long queue, and each one used the toilet and flushed. Because if you're born and 90 90 years old, and some people were 90, and you've always lived in a shack, and you used an outside toilet, which takes your dignity away, and you suddenly can use an inside toilet. You know, when people have a toilet or two or three in a house, one doesn't appreciate even the toilet. Until you see people standing, wanting to use the toilet and then flush it, and we would all clap outside, but I just cried, I just cried, I just cried, and that is a powerful jesus that isn't that powerful? He just put the whole community he said i'm going to do it, and he did it, and may I say no fundraising we didn't raise for we didn't do any we couldn't number one. Number two, who would give money for an Arb kind of township to get houses? God miraculously supplied every uh, rand, and we needed millions and millions and millions. And once we'd broken through, the government, which was then the new, new government, said, we like what you've done, we'll keep on with it. And the houses, every time we go back to Cape Town and wider, you just see house upon house upon house. That's the role of the church. That's our Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let me quickly move on. I don't know if the kids want to... Thank you for letting me share that because it's from that basis that I can now speak. So when I speak now, it's not that I've read it in the Bible and I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says... I'm going to tell you that I've experienced it. So I read it, and I put it to the test, and it worked. And to me, that is where the power comes from. When you do something, and it works, and you think, I'm going to do it again, and again, and again. So in John 7, verse 37 to 39... An invitation to the thirsty. Anybody thirsty here today? Thirsty for the Jesus who can get rid of worms, give people houses, heal the sick, raise the dead. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, and even that, a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And God has been speaking to me all the time about the springs of living water. But when Jesus stood up, to to make that call, you know, what struck me was loud voice so that the whole camp, every single person could hear. Um, It was at the end of a feast. It wasn't at the end of a fast. It was at the end of a feast and people were very happy and they were rejoicing because the harvest had come in and the harvest had been good and so on. And so they celebrated with great feasting the goodness of God And then on the last day they poured water out and said, Lord, thank you for the rain that was. Now in this next season will you send rain. And at that point Jesus stood up and they were talking about physical stuff and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come so that out of us will the rivers of living water will flow. And... um, I just feel God's call is on the UK. If anyone is thirsty, let him come. Because I've spoken from a South African context where maybe there was the fasting, the, the needing, the, you know, and so on. But right here in your context, which is it's a different world for us here, and though there are needs, it's not quite the same. And so sometimes the need of God is not actually the same. Um, because your structures are in place, um, if anybody falls, stru- you know, if somebody loses a job, there's a structure in place. And, and Jesus is saying with a loud voice over Hearn Bay, if anybody is thirsty, let him come. And I feel God is calling the church Come and get thirsty. Come and get so desperate. So desperate as if there is no structure in place. There's no bank balance. There's no job. There's no nothing. Come and get so thirsty. So thirsty. Because the stories, and I, I, I can entertain you all day with stories, but it's all out of total desperation. There wasn't even, as I said before, Now I'm gonna do some signs and wonders. To me, uh, I was working with words of knowledge and prophetic and all that. I had no idea I was using it because I was just so desperate. And so we are in a season, a high season in the UK now, where things are happening. If you'd asked somebody 10 years ago, any of you know if somebody got healed or whatever, or some miracle, there would have been very few hands. You ask now, And people say, Oh, I know I know somebody who got saved. I know somebody who got healed. Something's happening in this nation, something is going up. And God is coming with great power here. And He's saying to His church, Come on, get thirsty. Get so thirsty. Put your back against the wall. And get so thirsty for him. Am I making sense? Yeah. Get so thirsty. He's calling with a loud voice, get so thirsty. The verses that God has been, I've got it in little papers here, because he he just gave this to me. Um, You know, we often think people don't want to get saved. Yeah? Out there, they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear. And people have said to me, Britain is a tough nation. People are, you know, all very nice, but people don't want to hear about Jesus. Am I right? It's a tough people. They are so tough. And these are the verses that God has given me. John 4, verse 35. Again, wherever we go, we hear people praying for revival. Lord, come on, bring revival. Lord, in the past you did revival. Please bring revival. John 4, verse 35. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? Lord, bring revival. Four months' time, bring revivals. you know, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So somehow in our thinking has been, it's so tough out there. And like we, as South Africans, were, may I use the word, brainwashed, into thinking, we can't get, we can't mix with other people. We, how do we relate? We can't. And it was a lie, actually. And so somehow, from where we first came into this nation, to the Stonely Bible Weeks in 1993, it was told us it's a very tough nation, this people don't want to know and you can't say the name of Jesus out there because nobody wants to know and when we were kind of called here a few years ago I thought what are we going to do it's supposed to be so hard Well, we haven't found it so hard because we've come in from another culture do you see and the Bible says the harvest is ripe isn't that amazing but he goes on to say, Matthew nine verse thirty-seven and thirty-eight, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest for workers. And so we stand in many prayer meetings. Lord, come and save. And people are saying, Lord, will you come and save? Lord, will you come and save? Lord, come and save. And we must do that. But somehow God is saying, I am saving. I am saving but you aren't throwing your seed out enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because if we just say, Lord, save, and we... Oh, it's so scary out there. We are actually not going to see much happening. But as we we say, now hold on, the Bible says the harvest is plentiful. But it's actually we who are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. So as we say, Lord, save... God give me somebody. And so the onus is actually on us. Does that make sense? It's scary stuff, I think. It's like ooh. That because the onus then is if we scatter our seed, we've got friends Jem and Anna Sewell, who live in Maidstone, they've got a farm. Okay? We know them. You you know them, yeah. And do you know, every year Jem and Tom have to go and throw the seed out so that now they're in their reaping time. If they didn't throw seed out there, would they be able to reap? But somehow we as church, we ask God, please save. And it is right, we've got to pray. But then we walk out scared. Am I talking to the right people? I'm talking to myself too. We walk out all scared because nobody wants to know. The Bible says that's a lie. Because out there, the harvest is ripe. It's ready. And I think working in the townships and then having to eventually stand against government, which is scary Go into Parliament and take over a room and say, we won't move until you start breaking down apartheid. That is scary, scary, scary stuff. But you know, God would speak to me and say, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. And and though the security police or people in Parliament or whatever would, whew, they would curse and swear at me for what I was doing, and I would feel so unclean and small In me, I thought, do you know who I am? We said about we are sons of God. Do you know who lives inside me? Do you know that one day the church is going to judge angels and nations? We, you must look around us. And here we think we are too small or too old or too young or too no schooling or too much schooling. Do you see? It's like we've been conned, in a way, into thinking we are nobodies. Do you know we are God's plan A? You are God's plan A for Herne Bay. And uh, in Acts 17, verse 26, the Bible says that before time, God knew where he would put us, where we would live. So no matter who is living here now, you were put here, hand-picked, Oh, but we just decided. No, you were hand-picked before time. You would live here because God, in Ephesians 2.10, has prepared good works in advance for us to do. So we've each got a little job. We've each got a path in front of us with good deeds in it that God has already prepared, which is quite, quite amazing. So he says, well, I will have, I think, Julian... Um, yeah, huh? you came three years ago from, oh, see what I found out in a short time? From Surrey. And you thought, well, where will we live? And you could have chosen anywhere. We live in Herne Bay. Meantime, God knew before time that you would live in Herne Bay because at this point in time there's a job for you as a, as a couple and a family to do. And you think, oh, okay. And he's prepared it already. And we're so used to saying, but what can I do? Who am I? And yet, for some people, Billy Graham, he stood on the platform, and it was thousands. For someone else, it's having coffee with people and just saying, do you know what happened? It's, we tell—we are good storytellers, and we can chat, especially the women. Oh, boy, can they chat and tell stories. Um, but... It's, it's the, those are our strengths that God has given us. The openings He's given is because out there they're waiting for the church, like our old government would swear at me and so on. Um, and I thought, I know who I am. When we go out there, it is tough, and not every we think, not everybody wants to know. And so they say, who do you think you? Are? And they laugh and so. But it's a matter of so what he lives in us i often say when when we walk into tesco sainsbury wherever you shop the glory of god has come to tesco to bless tesco because we have walked in there is that shocking it's right eh but somehow in here we glory and we love it and we as soon as we get out there, it's like somebody stands at the door and instead of the pastor in the old days used to shake the hand, now somebody stands there and shoves a brick in our mouth. Yeah? And says, You can't. So here we are all very, yes. And out there. And we sang Majesty this morning, kingdom authority flows from his throne unto his own. I thought, Look at that. We have kingdom authority to do the things that God has planned in advance for us to do. You know, the last day of the Brighton Conference that we were just at, it was the Transition Day. And Dave Holden um, spoke the last, the final session, and kind of wrapped it all up brilliantly. But before that, this man called Martin Charlesworth, Lovely man, but very quiet. You don't see him prominent in anything, though he is quite a prominent person in what he's doing. He came down to the mic and he said he just saw a picture. And the picture was of a stage. And the act one on the stage had been completed and the curtain had come down. And that was New Frontiers Down's season. Then it was Act 2, which was the stonely season, and that act, the the curtain came down. The Brighton conference season was coming to an end, and the curtain was coming down, because we're now in Act 4. But the thing that struck me, Martin said, as the curtain was coming down, he saw the angels putting the props and settings in place for the next act. That's amazing. So we think, what are we going to do in this next and God says, I prepared it already. Walk in it. Pray it into being and walk in it. Mm-hmm. And in the same way when Ephesians two ten says he's prepared good works in advance for us to do, he's prepared it. The angels have put things in place and he's saying, Now walk in it. We've we've you know, we've got promises, we've got prophecies over us. Maybe you've even written it down in books. It's time to take it out and say, this is mine. Because we, we are at war. My whole being, because I know about war in South Africa, my whole being is at war against the demonic. And you see, I, I know that if somebody comes to me and they need prayer and there's some demonic things, I know that I know that I know, that I know, that if that person is willing to work with Jesus in it, they will walk out free. Mm-hmm. Because if if somebody's sick, I'm not sure if I pray, will they be healed? I, how must I know? Unless God gives me a definite word, how must I know? Yeah. When it comes to demons, ooh, you say the name of Jesus, and they just have to go. They just, they've got no option. They have to go and people get free. That is the authority that God has given us. And, you know, he's given us these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read a few of of them off quickly. Um, I've got a whole list here, but it's going to take too long, because I normally do a whole seminar on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and get us practicing, which is great fun. Very scary, but great fun, you know. And it's for all of us. And there's things like like craftsmanship. Whoever uh, crafted things for this church with their hands, it's actually a gift of the Holy Spirit. That's in Exodus thirty one verse one, where God anointed people to build the temple, some to work with purple, some to work with this and and so we think, but all I do is I just make a few banners. You need the Holy Spirit anointing and the gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. Do you know that? That is so exciting. But there is discernment, encouragement, evangelism. And when I say evangelism, it's not not everybody's going to be Billy Graham. Or in our sphere is Lex Edis or one of those or Adrian Holloway or whatever. Uh, very few people get on a platform. But do you know, we are the evangelists. So when I do this uh, um, seminar on gifts of the Holy Spirit, I ask people to put their hands up, which is not very British, is it? If you you recognize this as your gift, I want you to acknowledge and put your hand up. Oh, and people don't know where to put their hands. (laughs) And then I have to say, you know, it's God's gifts. So if you think that you have the gift of prophecy, put your hand up. Because that gives it power, You acknowledging this is what God uses me for. Because Paul the Apostle said about himself, I speak in tongues more than anyone else. Was he showing off or was he saying, God's given me the ability to speak in tongues more than anyone else. So an acknowledgement of the gift is so important because then you can pray power into them. And when it comes to evangelism, people are too scared to put their hand up because they think, but I've never led anybody to the Lord. I would then say, but how many seeds have you said? Oh, no, I love talking about Jesus. Do you see? We get conned into thinking you must lead someone to the Lord. You just go out and scatter. One day maybe you get a bonus of leading someone to the Lord. Just scatter the seed. And so we're too scared to put seed out because nobody gets saved. And what if I don't lead that person to the Lord? So what? Evangelism is like a scale one to ten. You might be number one who scatters, then you still need two, three, four, five, six. You might be number seven, you might be number nine, and glory you might be number ten, and then you reap what nine other people have sown. Does it make sense it just It just puts it into perspective. We must just throw out our seed, and if we don't reap that well glory, someone else is going to reap. But let's throw it out. There's the gift of giving, the gift of healing, helps, hospitality, intercession, prayer, tongues, interpretation, knowledge, miracles. It just pours out of us. So as we walk in the street, um, suddenly you walk past somebody and you get a thought, oh, that person looks like they've just had a very hard day. You think, now, if you were South African, you'd say, ach oh, shame. They've had a very hard day. But we, when that happens to me, I think, Lord, will you bless them? Because God should. I recognize the word of knowledge, and I say, Lord, will you bless them? You come in here on a Sunday, and you think, so-and-so is looking a bit down, or so-and-so. Oh, well, and that's it. We just look at people. Meantime, God is giving us words of knowledge, and as we go and say, how are you doing? Can I pray with you? The words will flow even more. So these giftings, I call it the the toolkit that we wear around our waists. And um, somebody, one of the elders in another church, he had this most wonderful picture of this toolkit. Um, because he said, you know, he, he described it from TV. Um, the surgeon is going to be slicing somebody open. Yeah? And... <laughs> From worms to slicing somebody open, you know, it's very South African. They were very graphic, and okay, he's 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 what he's making a cut incision. Yes, and in he's he's making an incision, and behind him stands the, the 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 nurse who passes the instruments, and so. As this elder said, he's only saying it from what he sees on the TV. We don't know about real life unless you're in the medical profession. Um, And then he just does this. He keeps his eye on the patient. He does this. And the nurse slaps the tool. And then he does this. And then he he passes that back, slaps it. And the next thing gets slapped in because that person, that nurse, knows exactly which instrument to give at which time. And he says, as we walk... We've got the Holy Spirit, and he's just slapping (coughs) instruments, tools on us for every single job he's giving us to do. Isn't that the most wonderful way of putting it? It just makes it so much easier than, oh, I wonder if I can get a word of knowledge. As you walk, something will just happen. You'll get words of knowledge and so on. I think I'm going to stop there, and we're going to pray. Is that okay? Okay ready? I wonder if we can stand. And Father, I went right off my notes and I put things together that fit just as you put it in my head. And so I want to ask, Father, that you will come and make things straight in people's minds, make everything fit together. I want to ask, Lord, that if any fear has come on anybody from what I've said about we should be out there doing the stuff, sowing the seed, I want to ask you, break the hold of fear over people. And if you will, I wonder if you will put your hands up as the thirsty ones coming, where Jesus said with a loud voice, he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come. Because, ooh, what I've spoken about, the signs and the wonders, Even throwing seed out there. We need to be so filled. We need to be so desperate. Because you know what? We can't do it by ourselves. It's dead works. The key to everything I do is, Lord Jesus, please rescue me. You got me into this. Get me out. What must I do now? And he just shows me and tells me. And Holy Spirit, will you come and fill each one to overflow? We're desperate people. In your church do you come forward? Yeah? Okay. I think we need a we need if anyone is thirsty, come. If anyone is